Hi everyone, it's Olga Zar. Welcome to the SEO podcast by SEO Sly. Today, my guest is George. How do I pronounce your surname correctly? I don't want to mispronounce it. Why don't you go ahead and mispronounce it this first time and then I'll correct you. It's, it's more fun to watch you do that this way. You okay. know, before this, you said you were going to interrogate me, so I'm looking to get in the interrogation now while I can. Okay, so George and Gian. <laughs> oh, that was so much fun. Now it's uh, it's closer to. So the actual pronunciation in Vietnamese is Nguyen. That's very oh. difficult for most people to say. But the key thing to remember here is that it's one syllable. It's monosyllabic. So it's win, uh -huh. like win or lose. So my name okay. is George Win. And um, that's enough, right? I don't have to do any more introduction, oh. right? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can just briefly tell what you are doing, what you are up to. Yes, it says you are from Wix. That's correct. If someone doesn't know you for some reason, what? Oh, there's plenty of people. What are you up to in like three yeah. sentences? <laughs> okay, in three sentences, I run an SEO learning publication for Wix, the uh, site creator. Before that, I was a reporter for Search Engine Land, and uh, I view myself primarily as an educator first and foremost, and then kind of a content marketer and, and SEO after. So there's a lot here that we can talk about in terms of like um, navigating your career within SEO because of a lot of what I, I do has to do with publishing people and events. I was a programmer for SMX. Mm. Um, there's that aspect. There's running my publication. There's um, editorial in general. There's all that stuff that I'm looking to dig in here. And of course, I'm at Wix. Um, I see that if you're if you're listening to this, then you don't see that uh, the video version has like my name on it. And I just wrote Wix next to my name, but Olga was smart and she put her handle next to hers. And that's a missed opportunity for me. But I will add this once I get to edit the video. So you, you will have your handle here anyway. So don't worry about that. Okay, so I just want to like, go back and I want to ask you about everything regarding your SEO or non-SEO story. I want to go back to the very beginning. So when did you start like in more detail? All right. Um, I started in SEO, I would say five years ago, just, mm -hmm. uh, just a bit over five years ago in March of 2018, I moved to America from Korea. I'm from America, but I'm from uh, California, which is still America. Um, but <laughs> I grew up there and then I moved to Korea and I was a teacher there for a number of years. I also worked in radio and a little bit okay. in journalism. And that mishmash of careers kind of made me very nervous uh, because moving back to America, I did it for professional reasons. And I felt like I didn't have skills that were transferable anywhere. So I started as a low level associate editor for a content marketing firm. And it just so mm -hmm. happens that my first client was WordPress. And uh, cool. that was for WordPress.com, which is actually a Wix competitor. Um, it's not the, you know, WordPress, the self-hosted one that you're all likely familiar yeah. with. It's uh, their, you know, standalone offering. And yeah. that taught me about content marketing and about SEO. Uh, I got laid off from that job. I'm very forthcoming about that because it happens to everyone at some point. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to feel bad about it. I got laid off. Um and then I got picked up at Search Engine Land. I was very fortunate in that my previous experiences as an educator and as a journalist and my short stint in content marketing made me uh, uniquely qualified for that reporting position. And I mm -hmm. did that to the best of my ability for about three years, got to work with some wonderful people, programmed, helped to program uh, SMX, the conference series, um, learned what it was like to communicate with Google, Bing, Yelp, mm. et cetera, et cetera, on a regular basis and work with a lot of people in the industry, pulling them into my stories to get their insights. And that's really an important aspect of my career is involving mm -hmm. others in it, because that's what has uh, made me successful up to this point in what I do. And um, then the opportunity to run my own publication at Wix came up um, almost a year ago, a little bit over a year ago. Um, yeah, that opportunity came up and I didn't start until April of 2022. And I've just been focusing on launching this publication. It's called the Wix SEO Learning Hub. It's already uh, live, it's launched, right? But um, making it one of the most authoritative, if not the most authoritative place for our particular audience. And I wanna conditionalize that. I say our audience 
and that I'm not looking to necessarily go after like, you know, search engine land and, and search engine journal and Moz and all those, because I don't believe those are necessarily the same audiences. Um, uh -huh, yeah, we're not an SEO tool. And so, yeah, that's, that's what's going on with me now. That's everything in a, in a very short, uh, hopefully kind of short story. Okay. But I want to, I want you to tell me a little bit more about this publication, like how it all started. Well, tell me more about it because recently I had a chance to actually write an article and my first article has been published on Week's SEO Learning Hub, which I am very proud of. And like, what's your selection process of people? Can people apply? Tell me everything because I read a, a bunch of articles there and they are actually really, really nice. They're actually really, really nice. I like how you say like by default, most publications aren't really nice. It depends in <laughs> as everything in SEO, but on some very, very, very huge blog sometimes you get that feeling that this is like the i don't know which article written today and maybe there isn't enough vibe in it passion and here it looks like every article is kind of unique written by an expert and yeah tell yeah, me about well, it <laughs> let's uh let's i'm sure the the thing that most people are going to want to know out of the series of questions that you just asked is a uh, uh, <laughs> contributor selection and we do not accept, uh, openly accept contributor pitches. That's just not something we do because um, mm -hmm. there is no amount of staff that really would be able to handle the amount of uh, volume. <laughs> I, I get pitches just constantly from email and LinkedIn and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, we don't have the time to go through everything and vet everybody's credentials to establish that they are an expert. Mm -hmm. uh, we have an expert page. So the hub functions as an asset for Wix an educational asset, a brand asset, not a conversion asset. So you'll see that we don't have CTAs in our content. Um, we don't try to sell Wix because it's really about learning SEO and that independence, I'm hoping, will result in more authoritative content in ways that um, other publications can't because they have to sell you tickets to a conference or they have to sell mm -hmm. you premiums and things like that. We don't have to do that. We just are doing it. Educate, um, yeah. So the authority of our contributors is a big thing. And hence why, you know, publishing Olga Zar is meaningful for us because we know that you're reputable on how to get started on a site audit, on more advanced site audits, right? You'll notice that our contributors are generally experts in whatever they are writing about, although many of them have comfort in many areas of SEO. That's just kind of what you need to be. Mm -hmm. um, we generally do things by a referral system. So between myself Morty and Crystal, what I like to consider uh, the editorial team of the Learning Hub, um, even though they, their responsibilities are far greater than just the Learning Hub, to be clear. I primarily am in charge of that, but um, between the three of us, there's a lot of referrals. There's a lot of people that we know, and if we don't know who can talk about something competently, then we look into our networks and we ask. Um, we do that by trying to to see who we know and also factoring the diversity aspect of it. We've gotten some really good coverage about how diverse we've been and our gender uh, balance. Yeah. Those are things that are intentional. They are, I, I feel like a lot of organizations make it sound really, 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 really difficult. And I would say that for the bandwidth that we have, yes, it is difficult. You know, there's really mm -hmm. like two people that care about like making this a real thing. And like, and, and when I say care about, I don't mean like, just like, oh, it would be good. I mean like actual putting hours into it, right? Everybody cares about making it diverse, but it's not everyone's responsibility. That only comes down to two people. And so balancing that yeah. out is another way that we uh, look at our contributor selection. Um, another thing also is that we only publish twice a week. And what you were saying about the quality of the content, things being actually very nice, um, things <laughs> turning out a certain way, showing that the writer is interested. All of that kind of comes through in our process. That cadence of just two a week is very intentional because we want to make sure that everything goes out. And if you're ever only going to read one article from us, then it has to be good. And that's the way I like to think about that. But yeah, uh, contributor yeah. selection, really difficult process because um, all those things that we have to keep in mind and also vetting each person. So we're actually getting to the point in the maturity 
of the publication where we're getting people to publish their second and third articles. I'm super proud about that. I'm super happy that they've decided to come back and they had a good enough experience and uh, continue to be partners with us, leveraging their authority. Um, I mean, if you have a budget, you can do anything, right? If you're Google yeah. or you're Microsoft or whoever, um, well, not maybe not that level of authority because if you just work there, then you have that level of authority. But like, you know, a SEMrush, for example, mm -hmm. if you have a big budget, you can get a lot of authority. People will write for you. But the question is, will people become advocates of what you're doing? And so we, uh, we pay people for every contribution. So that incentivizes them to do that off of that. But I, I feel like that's not the main thing people want. People want the association with our brand, which isn't hard to give. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, there's just a lot of factors in thinking about this and weighing out um, who gets to contribute and when. And I could just go on and on. But uh, I think that's the gist of what you want to know. Yeah, and I also wanted to touch upon that you pay for each contribution, which is... And I don't know if it is like a super motivating factor, but you, but I really like that approach because we are so busy, so busy in our lives. And sometimes it is like, I have been invited many times, but most of them don't offer any kind of reward for your time. So that's, that's really, I think, nice. And regarding the topic selection, one question. So you Wait, before we get you, to the topic selection, yeah. I want I want to sh share with you an anecdote about yeah. um, being about payment, mm -hmm. just in general. I remember um, there were a lot of discussions about uh, paying contributors and things like that. And one of my very good colleagues, uh, Carolyn Leiden. I'm sure you mm -hmm. know. Um, yeah, she was the one who told me. Like, I, 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 for those people who do know me, I'm kind of a quieter person, especially on social and things like that. I recognize my role as an editor, and I don't try to fight against it. Although I am trying to make the best of it for my own career and for the betterment of the hub. But um, I kind of keep quiet, and that's kind of the same way in meetings. When something strikes me, then I'll say something. Um, this the subject of pay is something that everyone is always talking about on the publishing and the conferencing side on not always, but on a regular basis. And I shied away from those conversations because um, I felt far away from them. I felt like editorial was my job and not, not the other aspects of the business. And uh, Carolyn told me that um, essentially that I was hiding from those decisions and that those were always my decisions to make and that I didn't really do mm -hmm. anything. Like I, I just was essentially choosing to ignore it. And that stuck with me as I moved into this role at Wix, because if you don't pay people, then the pool of your, your talent, the authority that you can leverage is limited and in an important way, not just in a way that prevents you from accessing the most authoritative people, perhaps, um, because there's one more, definitely more than one way to appeal to somebody. You are preventing people who need to spend their time um, earning money from writing for you. I've spoken exactly. to um, members of the FCDC, right? Uh, the Freelance Coalition of uh, develop, Developing Countries, I believe, mm -hmm. um, is what that stands for. And I, I talked about them like, oh, why, why do you want to contribute? Um, you know, what makes you eligible? And one of the things is like, yeah, well, you paying is a big deal because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do this. I wouldn't be able to take time away from working to do this. And that plays into a component of diversity and all those other things. Also, just like, it's not a huge amount of money. It's just to make people kind of feel better about it, essentially. So yeah, is it worth it? 100%. I, I want to keep doing it for as long as possible. Um, again, like we, we give you everything we can in terms of online visibility, we're trying to build out expert pages. But um, I'd like to see the industry move to a place where people are regularly getting paid for their contributions at conferences and at publications. Yeah, 100%. So let's quickly jump to topic selection. So you find, for example, there is an, an expert you think that should write, can write, and do you offer them like the topics to choose from or they can just write about anything they feel writing about? Uh, it's a beautiful thing about the early days of a publication. We're not even in the first year of um, the hub being live yet, 
but especially in that first six months, you were playing catch up on so many topic areas, especially if you were operating in a mature sector. Um, so uh -huh. there's, you know, over a decade of history on, on just SEO as we know it in this modern era, era essentially, right? Um, so at the beginning, I could just be like, all right, I know who writes well. I know who explains well. What do you want to talk about? Right. And then I, I just really enjoyed that initially. But as you get uh, going, you know, like I find that in particular link building is a difficult topic. There's only so many ways to talk about link building. Yeah. Right. Like I, every, and every time I say that to a link builder, they just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, <laughs> like it's almost <laughs> like a, a thing that they're just like, ah, oh, yeah, there's only so many ways. Like, especially if your budget is limited, then we're, we're talking even fewer ways. Right. Um, so we're at the point now where we have to intentionally look at our topic clusters. Um, so we definitely matured in our strategy. We have topic clusters, things that we're looking for, um, content that we want to assign out in various ways, shapes, forms. And so I'll just get on a meeting with the editorial team, Morty and Crystal, and we will start naming people that we think would be good for this. And for mm -hmm. anything that we find that's pressing that we don't have someone for, we'll reach into our, uh, our network. That's essentially what happens there. But topic selection, um, topic clusters, and then the biggest buckets first. Uh, we kind of have an interesting, we're at an interesting point in the life of the hub because Wix is, is looking to mature in terms of who the audience we're targeting to or targeting content at, right? So I'm talking about more advanced topics. Um, mm -hmm which never made sense for Wix before, but now it does. But on the other side, our, our audience of self-creators is huge. SMBs, we have over 280 million users. Oh. So 50% of our content has to kind of go towards that audience, that beginner stuff of like, even content like what is a search engine or things like what is a landing page? The things that an everyday person would ask that an SEO would just instinctively kind of know after three months. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, uh, more advanced topics. Uh, thought leadership is something that we try to pursue. Um, it's been easier with Morty and with Crystal, but it's not always easy because we're not at that point yet with, where people associate us with regular thought leadership. And so that's kind of like a next frontier for the advanced audience. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. So, and what the process looks like so someone writes the article on the on, on the selected topic they send it to you or what does it look like so i think we're at uh, the point where we're probably near like four dozen contributors or something like that oh. um three or four dozen and almost all of them start the same exact way you did olga uh -huh. with an introduction uh i sit down with the contributor for usually a 25 minute call that ends up taking about 35 minutes. I walk them through the mission of our hub and it goes a little bit something like, like this, you know, we're looking to educate. Um, I already told you at the top here, what the hub is, the hub's purpose is. And then I ask people directly, why do you want to write for us? And I'm, I'm just looking for honesty, not a specific answer. And then I tell them why I work on the hub. And that's usually comes down to uh, my passion for like, I want people to know how search works in general. And I also want to help like small businesses and then the diversity component, all that stuff. Um, then we start talking about content ideas. Once like we're all aligned on the reasons why we're working together, I find that that's a really good motivator for people and also um, helps me contextualize them. And then we'll kick around some ideas. Usually I'm, when I'm talking to someone, there's a reason. It's either a strategic partnership or we're already thinking like we want something like uh, maybe something about, I don't know. I'm doing, I'm editing something on local keyword research right now, right? Like I wanted something on local keyword research, mm -hmm. which is why I'm talking to this person or something. I want to build out that cluster in general. We'll kick around an idea, go back and forth. Um, I will ask them generally to send me an outline. I'll make some notes. I'll approve the outline one week later or not one week later, four weeks later. Um, I'll ask them to send me a draft. The draft goes into my editorial queue where it sits for weeks, far too long. Um, because I'm the only editor that works on the content in the hub. So uh -huh. the fact that it kind of turns out a certain way, every article is very intentional. And uh, I put a lot of time into the edits, as as I know you've seen. I'm very great. Yeah. So the way it turns out, <laughs> is it's almost personal for me, which is probably not the best thing to say as an editor. Um, but yeah, um, 
it'll get in my editorial queue. And then one day after a few weeks, the author who probably hasn't at this point heard from me in a few weeks, um, will just get like hundreds of notifications about like suggestions. Then I'll email them to formally tell them, um, review is done. Please look at my review, uh, challenge, accept, reject, express outrage, whatever you want. Um, we'll go through it, finalize it in the next week, and then I will stage it and they will publish it all told it can take three months. I can make it go much faster if there's a pressing need, but in general, three months, is that right, Olga? Would you say that it took you about three months? I think so. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. I remember the moment when I started getting those notifications and I thought, oh my God, so, so many things. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell people during the onboarding call that like, hey, you're yeah. going to get a lot of notifications. And it's like, if it's your first time, like, don't check your email, don't start opening them. Just do it for your own mental health, like that day. <laughs> and just know it's normal for me. And so yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, about uh, three months. And can you tell me more about the editing process like what do you look for what are the common things you kind of change maybe you have already reviewed a lot of those contributions are there some things that kind of happen in multiple publications there's a lot to like really it, it's it's just instinctual for me at this point uh -huh. um i know that doesn't really help you tell things but like one of the things that separates really effective communicators um, from people who are turning out more like documentation, some, I know what you, you know what I'm talking about. Some SEO writers, yeah. just like this is the documentation, like almost like a developer. And there is an yeah. audience for that, right? But that is not the Wix SEO Learning Hub audience. Um, I'm looking for context. So uh, for example here, um, I have a, I'm just going to read to you the sentence. Mm -hmm. uh, targeting these general keywords can help improve your business's visibility in the organic search results. Um, it helps to come up with a list of services you offer and organize them based on priority or how central they are to your business. Those are two fine sentences, right? But within the context of a, a essentially a tutorial on local keyword research, that first sentence targeting those general keywords can help improve your business's visibility in the organic search results. That doesn't tell you anything. Right. Yeah. It just says like doing this will help you, right? Taking vitamin D will help me feel better, but how does it help me feel better? That's uh -huh. why this content exists. It doesn't just exist to tell you the function of something, right? Or, or tell you how to do something. It's here to tell you why you're doing it. All that context to answer the questions without people having to conduct an ancillary search of why targeting these things will help me. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? So my edit here was to add that way when someone searches for detailing in Burbank, for example, your page about Burbank based, your, uh, your page about your Burbank based auto shops detailing services might appear in the search results, which brings you closer to potentially winning over a new customer. That context is important for this audience because it's a local business audience. They're not uh -huh. SEO first the way we are. And so thinking about how your audience views things the information that they need and the gaps that they aren't able to fill, literally making them connect dots is, um, is just like, if, if that didn't have to happen, if I didn't have to connect the dots on my job probably wouldn't exist. That's the main thing there. <laughs> Connecting the dots for the audience is what I'm looking to do. And that doesn't provide you with exactly what I'm doing, but you know, when something's missing, an explanation is missing. And mm -hmm. I think that in general, when we think about editing and uh, the future, especially with chat GPT, all these AI generated content technologies, what will be the difference is um, probably people, heads of publications having deep subject matter expertise as, as like a starter. I know that's probably already pretty common, but it's going to be even more necessary as we head into this space and people leverage AI technology to create their content is you need to know your audience extremely well, and you need to know what it is that you're selling or doing or trying to achieve extremely well so that you can overcome the pitfalls of AI-generated um, content, which we do not, of course, use on the SEO Learning Hub at all. Yeah, but yeah. Th that was going to be my, my next question. Like, how do you 
see chat GPT in the future because it's probably going to become our tool. It, I am already using it to help me with writing. When I was writing the article, I think chat GPT wasn't there yet, but I'm using that. So what are your thoughts on that? Because more and more people will be probably like submitting articles maybe that are assisted with AI. Like, how do you see that? Do you see yourself using it to help you with the addition process? I don't see myself doing it um, because of the vertical I work in, SEO education. Um, mm -hmm. We've seen these technologies spit out best practices for SEO and they read very generically. When they're accurate, they read generically and they paint with broad strokes, if you get what I'm saying. There's a lot of nuance that's lost in yeah. their AI-generated SEO content I've seen as of late. But if I was like, I don't know, a, a, a baking blog, like it might be a lot more straightforward, something more general, something where the technology doesn't change that often and there's not a ton of nuance. I'm sure a baker is probably upset with me for saying that, but like that's, that's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. um, I don't use it at all. Uh, right now, not for any automation in terms of um, of creating briefs, which I, I rarely do, although I do sometimes. Um, a lot of our processes, and, I've, and speaking to the other, other editors that work at Wix, so much is manual. There is just no replacement still for many of the processes that we do, optimizations, things like that. Um, if an article gets turned into me by, let's, let's say that you, Olga, chose to turn in an article that was mainly created by uh, an AI service, right? Well, I think that would turn out, like I, I would probably be able to recognize that just based on the quality of the work, unless you like really, really changed it a lot to the point where it was like half of your work. Then, then I might not be able to tell, honestly, right? But there's nothing that I can do about that um, I could run it through some software if that really became an issue for me to identify it. But that software is also like, it's not trained that well, it seems. Yeah. It kind of flags things. Um, it's not totally reliable. But I make it clear to all of the contributors that your name will appear in this article at two places, at the very top and at the very bottom. Everything in between your name will be associated with your name. And I think that generally yeah. that's a serious enough message for them to understand like, hey, this is not, you know, my private SEO, like my little personal SEO blog for my tiny freelancing site. This is a publicly traded company, um, the Wix SEO Learning Hub. Any inaccuracies that come through will be associated with them and also yeah. be a reflection on me as the editor. So um, I'm lucky in that most people take that pretty seriously. <laughs> Yeah, that, and regarding said, like I haven't told people, hey, don't use AI technology. I haven't like actually said to people. I think it's kind of like you know, Olga, that you're not yeah. supposed to generate the content yeah. you turn into me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I like that. Sure, sure, George. Sure. <laughs> that was real sure. Kind of not sure, sure, but sure. Okay. Okay. And okay. regarding language so what are some of the things you are looking for like for example you don't want the article to overuse passive voice versus active voice or to do you want people to write directly at the reader or are there some tips some some things you can share uh i would say that first of all the, the main thing to think about is who your audience is i know i, I keep going back to these very basic, very general points of content creation. Mm -hmm. But I feel like everything, every consideration is an offshoot of these general questions. Who is your audience and what is their situation? So we have an article by uh, Colt Sleva on programmatic, uh, on generating programmatic content. It's like generating product mm -hmm. description pages to see what sticks and then what gets impressions is, is how you end up choosing what you'll actually sell. It's, it's very novel. It's very interesting. And that's definitely written for a developer audience, right? Mm -hmm. There's some things where you just can't use active voice when talking about a search engine crawler because there's no volition. <laughs> there's no intent there. It is just something that performs another function. 
So when you know your audience and you know that this is a developer audience that will know all of these things, otherwise they wouldn't be reading this article, then you speak their language. Wix has a greater brand tone that's supposed to be very direct, very friendly. And we break that on the hub because there are technical things that we're talking about and you don't make the, the audience bend to the way you're doing things, right? Then you never mm -hmm. get a dog. Um, but for most of our content, yeah, there's a heavy emphasis on active voice because of who the audience is mainly beginner up until pretty recently. Now we're focusing on more advanced in terms of active voice. You just have to explain things like you're standing in front of a computer with your friend. Like that's, that's the best way I can say to do it. Keeping your sentences shorter, avoiding using verbs in the noun form by adding like ing or uh -huh. you know, uh, adding tion in um, since saying compilation instead of compile. Those kind of things, uh -huh. they're basic grammar things, but I've seen many people as a default just write in the passive voice, right? Everything is happening to something else. It's almost as if you, the SEO reading this, never have an active role in anything. And uh, in my opinion, that creates content that's boring to read and hard to follow because you are the main character in your life. Yeah. Even when all you're doing is optimizing like a, a title tag, it's still all about you and what you want to achieve. And so we say words like you a lot. When we do hypotheticals, we say your business, right? Because we always want to keep that in mind. Also, it helps to frame for the, the writer that you're not just talking in broad strokes, that somebody is actually going to sit down, read this and make business decisions based on this article. And so that's why we do the active voice and a few tips on how to do it a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because like I originally studied English, but English is my second language. And as soon as I graduated from university, I was writing in this very, very formal type of voice. I was using passive voice like everywhere. And then I read the book about how to write for the web. It was a very long book and they kind of changed my thinking completely because they, one of the things they said, don't use passive voice, use a direct tone, write like one sentence in one line. Like there were tons of things and I kept trying to change that and I kind of did, but, but this was like very shocking to me graduating from reading literature, writing, analyzing English and American literature. Yeah, I think a lot of, um, a lot of people, um, especially when they're not native speakers, they kind of just emulate what they see around them in the professional setting. And then for native speakers, we speak that way because it's what we're just taught to do. Like uh -huh. we're, the, we're, we're taught that this is how adults speak. Right. Everything needs to sound proper and professional. And I mean, that's great if you're talking about like your about page on a website, you can also do that in active voice. But the web itself is a rather informal place most of the time for most of our use cases. And especially in terms of the audiences that we're trying to reach. If you're a B2B, then yeah, sure. Go go with your passive voice. All that, all that stuff is important, right? But if you're um, you know, direct to consumer or B2C, yeah. Pay attention to that. Mm. Pay attention to your clients and how they're speaking to their customers, right? Because that is essentially the the language, the vernacular of the yeah. web, which is totally different in print and in educational settings. So this is one other reason why like that discussion of would SEO ever be a degree? Probably not because things change. Well, this is also another place like probably not because it just goes against so many of the other things that are uh, whether intentionally or not intentionally part of the culture, the business culture, as it were. Mm -hmm. So one last question about the hub. Can you like uh, disclose how is it going? How much traffic is it getting like maybe by percentage? Is it like some of the performance stats around this? Um, let me paint that in broad strokes for you. Um, hopefully. Because how many articles are there now? Uh, that's a good question. Let me uh, take a look here. I haven't updated this doc in a few weeks, but from four to... Um, there's probably... There's about 80. Oh, that's... 
Yeah, there's about 80. Yeah, I would say that. There's about 80 um, pieces of content out. And in terms of our performance. Or can you, for example, work? share which one is the most often read <laughs> so far? Um, the most read is actually probably going to be our article on Google Search Console. And uh -huh. um, that I wouldn't say. So you have to contextualize everything here, right? Yeah, of course. We are a website company. Google Search Console matters a lot for many different reasons, and we have an integration for that. And so I'm not in the every part of the interface, but you know that in the interface, we promote that as like, hey, yeah. read this article about why Google Search Console is important, then use our integration to get your uh, homepage instantly indexed via Google Search Console. Like that's, that's one of yeah. the things that's are one of our biggest ones in terms of just traffic in general, but also in terms of um, uh, or traffic internally, I would say. We rank super well for backlinks. I think we're like six or something, just like the general head term backlinks. A wonderful uh -huh. article by Ashwin ba uh, Balakrishnan. Uh, but I would say that our biggest things in terms of, let's see, clicks over the past three months. Yeah, the Wix SEO guide. That's not a surprise, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> How to do SEO on Wix is the biggest thing that we get clicks from. Um, yeah, most impressions, the Google Search Console related article. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we also do well um, intro to local SEO. So I would say that for, for right now, um, the clicks that we get, like a lot of, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak more broadly. I'm going to speak more broadly. Sure. Most, our biggest impressions... <laughs> are like super big head terms in SEO, just like local huh. SEO, Google Business Profile, huh. Google Search Console. And I'm sure that's the same across like every publication that deals with SEO. And so I'm not really telling you anything, right? Um, <laughs> but I can tell you that, uh, let's see, three months, month over month. Okay, let's do average impression. Let's see how much, let's get the calculator out here, Olga. <laughs> sure. Total clicks. All right, we have 90% more clicks in the last three months than we did in the three months prior. Oh, that's yeah. a nice gain. Very nice and, one. Uh, in terms of impressions, we have 130% more impressions in the mm. past three months than in the three months preceding that period. And we're doing um, three months over three months because like the hub hasn't even been around a yeah. year yet. So well, I don't have like annual data for you. And you know, that that kind of pace is, would be amazing to keep up. But yeah. I don't, there's only so much <laughs> search volume out there. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's wild. I think that we've also done really well um, thanks to the helpful content update. It also helps to be working with so many wonderful contributors who don't hold back in what their best tactics are or the way that they think about things and sharing that with our audience because I'm the person who reads all of it. Yeah. And then Tim and I, <laughs> we try to put that into effect on our own publication as well. Uh, given we can't cover everything, it's a big publication. There's only like a few of us, so. Yeah, okay. So a few more questions, maybe not about Hub anymore. Like, do you work remotely or? Yes, or do I've you worked go remotely remote? since uh, 2019. Um, uh -huh. for search engine land. And uh, I would say that uh, also like my team is in Israel and I live in the United uh -huh. States, I live in Rhode Island and there's no office near me. So it's not possible for me to, like I'd have uh -huh. to travel four hours to New York to get to the nearest office. So it's not possible. Um, but I do visit the Tel Aviv office once, maybe twice a year. And uh -huh. it's really lovely to be back in person. I would say that the biggest downside of my work in my environment is that there is nothing to celebrate in this home office. Like when you're working at home, everything is simply a thing that needs to be fixed or done on a certain timeline. Uh -huh. And when you finish that, no matter how significant it really is, the fact that nobody is there with you just means that the next thing you're thinking about is the next thing that needs to be done. Hmm, that's, and I yeah. suppose that's why I get the criticism that like, oh, I kind of 
stay behind the scenes too much professionally. I don't really share what I'm doing as often. It's because uh, working at home doesn't really feel like, like, yeah, you might be doing something to the best of your ability, but there's no context. There's no person next to you to tell you anything about whether that's successful, whether that's good or bad or anything. There just is work. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> I haven't thought about it this way. This is like, yeah, super, super interesting. Yeah, and yeah, then but... going in person to see the team reminds me of all those things that I miss out, but it also contextualizes the work I do here from my home office. It makes me feel better. It is the wind beneath my wings, essentially. <laughs> yeah. I see. Yeah, for me, I think it's the opposite. I used to go to the office for many years, and I think since 2019 as well, I started working remotely. And to be honest, I don't miss <laughs> I don't going miss to the going office to at the all office, at all like i am it's a difficult environment yeah and when i go into the office i make sure to plan so that uh, i don't have to do any work so if i go for a week i essentially have to be ahead of work on a week uh -huh. because when i get there um you know you don't you don't come in regularly it's infrequent everybody wants to meet you and spend time and if you need to meet new members of the team or celebrate or do xyz do a special offsite the reason that you came over things like that. Um, yeah, it's all special projects. It's never getting any regular work done. And so yeah. that's stressful. But I, I think that it's really it does refill my cup. It's very important. Mm -hmm. For me, at least. Yeah, sure. And Brighton SEO is coming. So I, I think I will refi refill mine as well. <laughs> is this going to be out before Brighton this recording? We can make it so. Okay. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah. You. yeah, yeah, I can totally make it like that. I can publish it in a, in a week or something. So yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I think that um, one of the things that people like not not on the topics that we really talked about, but um, there's a lot of of sentiment in the SEO space or like feeling about like, how do you navigate your career? How do you make it yeah. up to these levels because we do have conferences. We're an industry with conferences. Those conferences are glitzy. There's a lot of swag that goes about. There's a lot of FOMO, uh, especially if you're somebody who's been doing the job and doing hard work and you look up to all these thought leaders, you kind of want to be one of them also for what it means for your career and just the nature of working in SEO where you are literally hired to be in a space where everybody will challenge your recommendations. Exactly. And how do you how do you get people to recognize your authority here? Well, you develop that authority. And if you don't get that authority internally from your your boss or something telling everyone else, hey, you know, Olga knows what she's talking about, so listen to her, then you have to go out externally. You have to speak at conferences, get published, do all these things to earn these these achievements, these trophies that tell people, hey, I actually know what I'm talking about. So that when you go into a meeting, you'll get that buy-in, right? That's something mm -hmm. that like that'll that's that'll remove roadblocks for you. And in terms of doing that, people think about getting published and they think about speaking on stage. And I would really tell people who um who want to go that path that you have to get involved with the community. And not just in, in ways of like talking on Twitter and things like that, but you actually have to publish. You, you can do it your own way, but you have to do something to show you are mm -hmm. of value. You can't just hope and wish and pray and knock on people's LinkedIn doors, their DMs, or just like, you know, ask for referrals from other people who know people, right? Mm -hmm. People respect professionals that are willing to do things just just because it's the right thing to do or because it's the right thing to share knowledge and things like that. Um, so I would definitely say that focusing on your career development in that way is super important. And I mean, you don't have to write for a publication. You could just write for mm -hmm. yourself. Like you write for yourself, right? Olga? I know it serves like you also <laughs> consult. So it serves that purpose. But it's, it's important to have a digital presence if you are an actual SEO, which is kind of funny because I don't. Right. I don't have my own website. I tried. And then I was like, oh, I don't have time for this, but uh, you do need to focus on all those things. If you're going to really make a prosperous career for yourself here. And uh, I want people of color, diverse people to start taking that much more seriously. 
in particular because we're doing something here at the hub with diversity that I want to keep doing, but I want to see it expand. I want this to be the status quo because when I came into the space, I don't remember meeting like another single Asian person for a really long time. And I've only met like mm -hmm. one other Vietnamese SEO, right? And it's not just about me meeting people like me. It's about mm -hmm. the people that are, will enter this field that are looking for people to look up to that maybe look like them or have gone through similar experiences. This is a rare industry in which you don't need a formalized college education to provide enough for your family. And I, and so that's why I'm kind of discussing this at the moment. This is like, this is exactly what I also wanted to touch upon. And I'm very happy that that you did. And with me, for example, before I created my website, I used to create a lot of like affiliate sites, like sites where I didn't show my face, sites that weren't about SEO. But I didn't, but I never really felt that this is, it was kind of, I created the site and then I got bored with it. And only when I actually like showed my face and decided to risk, because it was a risk for me, because I'm not from the US. I also felt that uh, like, who is going to listen to a girl from Poland who only has been working agency side mostly, but I kind of said, okay, I will try and I will see if that's going to work. And, and it was, as you're saying, I am competing against people who like know all the tactics, know all the techniques, and they are going to like scrutinize everything I do. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I can totally, totally relate to that. Yeah. That, uh, that aspect of, um, of imposter syndrome, not necessarily what you're saying, but of like, that, that's what prevents people from starting, right? Like, yeah, everybody out there is going to scrutinize what you do. When you're starting, no one cares what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> what they care about is that you started. That's like my, I, I have contributors that like, yeah, for sure, English is their second, third language. And you have to meet, a, like, you have to be able to talk about SEO. Like that, that can't change. You have to be able to talk about SEO in English because that's our, our publication. But I'm not shy about working with them because I know that this is, if this is what I want, if this is the diversity I, I want to see, that I have to put in the time and the effort, no matter what that looks like. And so that's what we do. Um, but yeah, the, the, the ability there to just get started is hugely overlooked because yeah. you do get scared of like stepping on stage, but it, I, there's just so many things to say about that feeling of, of imposter syndrome. And I would just leave it at, look, there are going to be plenty of people. And I know that you know this as well, Olga. There are going to be plenty of people looking to put you down or take from you. That is not yeah. different in SEO than it is anywhere else in life. And mm -hmm. I, I, are you going to let that prevent you? There are going to be bad drivers on the road. Does that going to prevent you from getting a driver's license? It's just a fact of life. And so, yeah, some things I publish, I've looked back and I'm like, oh, wow, that's inaccurate now. Or somebody has emailed me and said, this is inaccurate. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's humiliating. But you move on. You're just like, okay, I will fix it. And then I will move on. And then I don't ever have to think about this again. And that'll be something that I never forget because someone called me out about it. It's all about how you take it and your approach to it mm. as a process and not just an end goal. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to like put a quote from what you just said and publish it everywhere because <laughs> it oh, was word so... Word to word. All 4,000 words I just spoke right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so a couple of things and we will be wrapping up. What does your normal day look like? Because I want to know your entire story and now I want to know how you work. Tell me about normal it. Normal day for me. Do you have normal days? <laughs> I do have normal-ish days and weeks. Um, it's it's kind of hectic in the mornings because, um, like I said, almost my entire team is in Israel, except for Crystal, mm -hmm. who works um, in the UK. So we're all offset by five or seven hours. So when I wake up, um, like I'm at my desk at probably 7.30 a.m. Eastern time every day just to uh, kind of get the day started. But my official workday starts at 8 a.m., and I usually have two to three hours just full of meetings. 
where that's the only time gap I have essentially where um, Israel and the UK and the East Coast are all on the same like business hour time frame. And so everything that I have to learn about my work for that day or that week or whatever has to happen in that three hour period. And the Israel team works Sunday to Thursday, which means that on Monday morning, I have mm-hmm. communication from both Sunday and their Monday. So Mondays, just like all meetings. And if I get to my inbox down to like 20 or like 30 emails, that's a good Monday. If I do nothing else, there's so uh-huh. much communication and management involved, especially in working at a company this large. Um, so that's something. Uh, that mm. morning meeting schedule is pretty much every day except for Friday. Friday, I barely have any meetings, which is fantastic. Um, and then <laughs> after the meetings, I usually walk my dogs, go out for a little bit of a break, maybe have lunch depending on what time it is. And in the afternoon, starting around like one o'clock to when I clock out, that's when I'll actually sit down and read something from a contributor or I'll edit something or I'll do a content update or I will plan for something in the future. Um, the actual editing of the content doesn't take that much time. Like when you started getting the notifications to when I told you it was done was probably one day, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But the cue to get to that point is so long because of all the managerial work that goes on behind the scenes to actually produce content. There's so many little tasks that you feel like nickel and dime your time because mm-hmm. my time director of SEO editorial, which means I'm a, I'm an editor, right? But I'm doing other tasks like got to get the agreement signed for Olga so that we can legally publish her content, uh-huh. right? Got to get payment details, got to get author details, your bio, your, your image, your links, all those other little things that go into it take up an exorbitant amount of time. And then there's the, uh, the fun time of my day. Monday to Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern time, I held a calendar block for all of my contributors, whatever they want, essentially, in terms of content and uh-huh. talking about contributions and potential contributors. Um, I hold that calendar block open to meet with them. I would say that in general, I would have right now less than less than four meetings for that a week, uh-huh. even though it's two hours a day, but I just hold it out because I think that um, making myself available on demand is something that's lost in this digital environment. And I want that to be a way in which our writers feel supported also because knowing that they they can get help the next day if they want it that they can simply ask for 30 minutes of their of my time instead of spinning their wheels for an hour about a piece of an article that they don't know what to do with hopefully that's the way that we get the best content from them mm-hmm. yeah. and the way in which we get them on the path to advocating not just for for weeks as a publisher but for Wix as a CMS and as a brand in general, oh, Wix is great to work with. And, uh, you know, I believe in their product. So that's kind of the way in which I, I try to make everything work together. And that's kind of my day-to-day. I usually clog out on time, but um, it's a stressful job sometimes. And there have <laughs> been times where I work through the weekend. Um, to launch the publication, I worked through COVID and into the night. Uh, for like two weeks because I was hired and essentially they told me hey you have two weeks to do this and I was like oh Uh. what (laughs) oh okay you so that was that was a a hectic part of my my onboarding it was supposed to be onboarding for one month and then after that get started with work at two weeks in my boss at the time said hey everyone just want to announce George is done with onboarding and they gave me a round of applause they clapped and I didn't know that I had no idea. Okay. There were so many things on my onboarding list that I never got to do. So many people I didn't meet. Uh-huh. And then she said, and in two weeks, he will be launching the SEO Learning Hub. And then I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, That's impressive. And I wouldn't have done it um, without Inbal Kochmeister, who is the product marketing manager in charge of the hub. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked late into the night my time which is like seven hours later Israel time. So she's working at like 2 a.m. during that oh. period to get things done. And uh, I don't endorse working that way, but it was inspiring. And it really gave me a taste of what teamwork at Wix can be and how focused mm-hmm. it can be. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I wouldn't do it again, but it was a good experience. 
<laughs> I can imagine. Okay, so any final tips for people who just want to become better SEOs, want to better navigate through their career? I, I feel that you have so many of them still to share. <laughs> yeah, I would say like you could, you can just focus on being like a good person. So what you have to understand about all the advice that I've given here is that I, I'm a hammer. And to a hammer, everything's a nail. I only know the way that I have done things that have made me successful. And considering that I've been in the SEO space for five years, it's a very short amount of time. Um, but a lot of trial by fire situations, like working alongside Barry Schwartz, right? Um, so much scrutiny in reporting publicly about search to the entire industry. All that stuff is trial by fire. And you 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 do have to have those experiences. So if you're not pushing yourself and that's what you want, you want a better career, you want more money, you do have to push yourself. You can very easily just become the SEO that uh, makes sure that everything has alt text, right? But you also have an mm -hmm. opportunity to think more strategically, to have fun with your career. And because SEO is a weird space, people are characters, right? Some people don't even have like a full name, like like on Twitter, Darth, Nah, Lincoln. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. and you we don't know what he looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard uh Morty was on like a webinar or something with him and he saw what he looked like before the uh, recording started. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. But like that's that's the thing about SEO is that this career is kind of it, it's it's in a weird space. Uh it conflicting with so many other things, but complementing so many things and so many weird, wonderful people that I almost guarantee that there's a place for whoever you want to be if you're passionate about it. All you have to do is start doing things, participating, and being genuine about it. I would say that that's very nebulous advice, but learning out in the open, being public with who I am and, and what I'm about, and my shortcomings, being transparent about what my object objectives are and where I need help and things like that has made me more relatable to people. Mm-hmm. And I think people are really what's responsible for fueling a career and that growth. And so I would say that just don't hide who you are, get out of your shell, make sure that you're trying to contribute. It's difficult for people who are short on time, but the reward is well worth it. There are a lot of people who want to see other people do well. There are so many educators in the space. And so, yeah, uh, just don't be afraid and go out there and try to make the best of the opportunities or create your own opportunities. Okay, so I have another quote, <laughs> another awesome quote, Fess. Okay, George, so where can people find you on SEO Week's Learning Hub or <laughs> where else? Uh, all right, so the URL to the Wix SEO Learning Hub is wix.com slash SEO slash learn. And uh, that's where you can read our content. Um, in terms of Twitter, my handle is uh, G-E-O-C-H-I-N-G-U. So it's Geochingu. It's just the first three letters of my middle, first, middle, and last name. Um, uh -huh. And then I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but I, I'm not going to like accept your request unless you actually mm. put a note in it. Like I, I get a lot of requests. I'm sure everybody yeah. does. But uh, if yeah. you contextualize, to me, it's just spam. It's because <laughs> I'm a person, right? Every, just be a person. Like you don't knock on your neighbor's door and not introduce who you are, right? I, that's the way. Yeah. I think. yeah, and you don't offer just uh, selling links without yeah. introducing yourself, because <laughs> that's a common thing on on LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's me, and I'm happy to um, I'm happy to to engage in ways that I can. My time is limited, but I want to see people do well. And I definitely am looking for ways to interact in the community, be a little bit more part of it than kind of in the background, uh, promoting other people's content. Cause that's what an editor does. Right. Uh, and mm -hmm. I don't feel yeah. that way. I don't feel like I'm in the background, but I, I definitely want to do more with my career, especially if part of my career is finding ways to highlight diversity in this sector. That's that'll serve that purpose for me as well. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So thank you, George, so much for spending this hour with me. It was very, a very insightful conversation. I learned a ton and I think the audience also learned a ton. And I'm very happy that I will see you in three weeks.
uh, yeah. on Brighton SEO. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. I know we hit a lot of uh, bases here, but I'm happy to expand on it if anyone wants to reach out to me. And I hope uh, people got their time's worth. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks, everyone. And see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.